You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M and what's it like to go behind enemy lines and get a feel of your opponent. That's what we're going to do today with my very special guest. We're going to be breaking down everything you need to know about Texas A&M as they face off against the Vanderbilt Commodores, who will be coming to town this upcoming Saturday, September 26th, to face on A&M at Kyle Field. Kickoff is at 6.30. The game can be found on the SEC Alternative Channel. Just make sure you got your channels turned to that SEC Alternative section because you won't be able to see the game on SEC Network. Before we begin, as always, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything we can do to get more production from our 12th man fan base, we are more than willing to do. We are on Monday through Friday. Every single day is a Locked on Aggies podcast day. And secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things Texas A&M related content found here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar, where a candy bar meets a protein bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to save $10 off your next purchase. That promo code is LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. As I said, what's it like to go behind enemy lines? That's what we're going to find out today. He is the lead writer for Commodore Country, part of Sports Illustrated's channel. More importantly, he is a great knowledge in the SEC. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my good friend, Greg Arias. Greg, how are you? I'm doing well and uh, hope the same for you and thanks for having me on tonight. Anytime, Greg. You and I, we both had time at Sports Illustrated. You're still doing great work over at Commodore Country. Go give them a follow at Commodore Country. Go give Greg a follow on social media at Greg Arias 1, if I'm not mistaken, right? Greg Arias Sports. Greg Arias Sports. It is Greg Arias Sports. Make sure you follow that, not Greg Arias 1. Greg, let's just dive right into it. This is going to be, I think, a prove-it year for Derek Mason. I think this is a prove-it year for his staff. And more importantly, this is a prove-it year for a lot of people in the SEC up in Nashville. Just just what are your initial thoughts of the Vanderbilt Commodores coming out of fall camp and getting ready for this week one matchup? Well, you know, that's a great question because we have not had the opportunity to see these guys. We've been, obviously, because of the the pandemic and everything locked out of practice since uh, the uh, spring practice began. We got three sessions of that before everything was shut down back in March. So we've not seen them since. We're going off of reports of players and coaches and various information from staff members that we've been able to talk to to kind of give us uh, a little bit of an idea. But there's certainly a lot of questions in particular surrounding the Vanderbilt offense, not so much on the defensive side where they have 11 starters returning, but certainly offense with the makeshift offensive line that they have. And it's up in the air, even though the depth chart came out today, we still don't know who will be the quarterback on Saturday night. So uh, a lot of questions. And that's the biggest thing. I mean, last year was Riley Neal, the transfer from Ball State. A lot of people in the draft community, a lot of people that I spoke to around the SEC thought he was going to actually be a proponent to Vanderbilt's success. And he actually struggled immensely up in Nashville. So just what have you seen in those in those early training, I mean, in those early fall camps? What are you hearing about the quarterback battle? And what's it look like on the depth chart going into week one for Derek Mason's squad? 
Well, they put out the depth chart today, and they've got two true freshmen and two junior college transfers. Most of the speculation around Nashville is that Ken Seals, who's a Texas native and uh, a true freshman, big reputation coming out of the Lone Star State, will be the guy that gets the call. But today, when the depth chart came out, Michael Wright, the other freshman from Atlanta, was on the top. Of course, it said Michael Wright or Jeremy Musa, who is a JUCO transfer, or Ken Seals or Danny Clark. So uh, while Seals has the speculation around here of being the guy Mason's playing this thing as close to the vest as possible. And he said a couple of weeks ago that it may be kickoff time when the offense trots out on the field before we know who it will be that will take that first snap. So uh, your guess really is as good as mine, though. I, I would suggest and feel like it's going to be Ken Seals. He was the guy that got most of the work in the spring because Clark and Wright weren't on campus and Musa was injured. So let's just go real fast through Mike Wright, and then we'll go back to Ken Seals. Dual star, a dual threat quarterback coming out of Woodward Academy in Atlanta, as you mentioned. Graded out as an 87 prospect on 24-7 sports. The number 19 dual threat quarterback in the nation. Three-star recruit. Actually has a big background. Six foot four, 185 pounds. When you're playing it this close to the chest, and more importantly, when you're playing it for a chance to really keep your job, do you go with a guy who maybe is a little more flashy or do you go with more of the pocket passer, more of the guy who can be, I would say, consistent and with your play calling? Well, that's a great question. And obviously with the new offensive coordinator, Todd Fitch, coming in from Louisiana Tech, we don't know that much about him. We can kind of gauge Derek Mason a little bit and see, uh, you know, from his past history where he kind of stands with these things. But Fitch is a little bit of a wild card, not knowing as much about him. Mike Wright is a game changer with his speed. He's a guy that if he gets in the open field, he is a track star and legit speedster that can take it to the end zone anytime he touches the football on the ground. But uh, even though he's shown pretty well from what we've been told as a passer still a little bit raw around the edges where seals is more of an accomplished passer uh, in his time so mike Wright, i think is a guy that we probably will see at some point in time this season i just don't know if he's going to be the guy to take that first snap of the season but let's talk about seals then six foot three 203 pound uh quarterback out of weatherford texas he enrolled early back in january to come up to the program and kind of get started Big, big player coming out of Weatherford. I mean, first team all district honors as a junior. Uh, he actually had to play on JV in Weatherford because of transfer rules. But ever since, he's kind of built him up. Both these guys came in as three-star prospects. Both came in with an 87 grade. As a pro-style quarterback, though, he actually ranked a little lower than Wright did as a dual threat. So do you think that because of it is a new offense coordinator, it's not the same system that was ran last year with seals experience. Does that help him out a little bit, at least in a game against a team like Texas A&M, who, even though they didn't lose a lot on defense, they lost a ton on offense, especially with the opt-outs where this could actually be a very competitive game. Well, I think that's a great point. Uh, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with the opt-outs that we've seen. Of course, Vanderbilt has had their share in particular on the offensive line. Uh, but Seals is just a guy that uh, every time you talk to a player, and we spoke with wide receiver Cam Johnson and uh, Andre Mintz, one of the uh, defensive uh, ends on this team the other day, and asked both about quarterback, and the first name of the four they mentioned was Ken Seals. Obviously, we kind of uh, take that as a little bit of a hint, at least what the players are thinking about it. 
when it comes to that. So even though he's a little bit lower than Wright in those rankings, I think Wright probably gets the advantage because of his uh, running ability. Seals is mobile, but certainly not the game-changing dynamic speed uh, that Wright has. Somebody made the comment, even though he's bigger, but Kyler Murray uh, is the comparison that they had for Mike Wright because of his speed and because of his elusiveness, even though, uh, you know, a bigger stature player. But that's a pretty hefty praise for a kid coming in if you can and can put that tag on him. One six foot four, one is five eleven. But if you're compared to one of the rising stars of the NFL right now, you're in a pretty good spot. We got Greg Arias on. Greg, I want to bring this up to you because I thought this might be an actual really interesting point. Last year in Matt Luke's system at Oxford, we saw Matt Coral and John Reese Plumley both take snaps for the Rebels. One was used as a dual threat runner in Plumley. One was used in the pocket, which was Coral. Both are freshmen. Plumley came in third, I believe, in SEC in rushing with over a thousand yards, and Coral was really more the pocket passer. And they did that consistently. Do you think because they're two freshmen, you don't really know what direction you're going in, and more importantly. You don't know who your head coach is going to be in 2021. They could just run both out there and just depending on the set they want to go with, both see significant playing time on Saturday. That's certainly a possibility, though. I don't think Derek Mason wants to do that. He spoke last year about the carousel that he had at quarterback, which came because of injury. Riley Neal missed a couple of games when he was knocked out, and uh, Mo Hassan came in and actually was the quarterback that uh, won the Missouri game, and he got knocked out. So I don't think Mason wants to play quarterback roulette. I think he wants one guy that he can stick back there and count on to be the guy and to, to grow in this offense and, and kind of learn and, and be ready to go moving forward. Because even though Mason is technically on the hot seat, I'm not sure how hot that seat is this year, considering the amount of buyout that he will have at the end of the year, considering uh, some people are saying, you know, because of the COVID and, the, and those kind of things that, it really doesn't matter what's going to happen. He lost a couple of surefire wins in non-conference games. Now he's playing 10 games that nobody expects this team to be able to win any of. So there's a thought going around that he could perhaps finish 0-10 this year and still manage to keep his job. That remains to be seen, but certainly that is uh, something that a lot of people here feel like is a real possibility. Honestly, at this point, everything's a possibility. We got Greg Arias on from Commodore Country, part of Sports Illustrated, to talk a little bit about the Vanderbilt Commodores coming into town against Kyle Field. And this episode of, Act of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar. Now, you guys know the promo code about Built Bar, but they've rebranded. So not only do they have their 12 original flavors that include coconut almond, German chocolate cake, mint brownie, salted caramel. They got six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, and carrot cake. Now, they're more like a candy bar than anything else because they're covered in 100% real chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. For someone like me who is a health-conscious guy, Built Bar is a great snack throughout my day. They help you lose or maintain weight while you get to indulge a delicious treat. Plus, the bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-farber, and they're great for someone like myself who's on the keto diet. Right now, my new favorite player flavor is actually cherry bakia. It's not that bad, and the numbers would shock you. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs. You're not going to find a product like this anywhere else on the shelves, and we got a deal for you right here at Locked on Aggies. Go use the promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com to save $10 off your next order. That promo code is LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. 
Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts surrounding your favorite sports team every single day? If so, make every single day a Locked On Podcast kind of day. We have over two dozen college sports shows, plus every team covered in the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and highlight information to get you geared up and win your fantasy football season. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, Listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. We got my main man, Greg Arias from Commodore Country, joining us on the show today. Greg, earlier this week, Jimbo Fisher's press conference talked a lot about what he's seen from Derek Mason's defense, more importantly, what the Commodores have. And the biggest thing that's a win for them is they have 11 starters coming back. And he said, you can never count out Derek Mason when it comes to defense. Last year, the defense was... A little underachieving. They were a lot better against the run than they were against the pass, but they still were a little bit underachieving. With the veteran experience coming back, does that help Vanderbilt at least stay competitionalized this upcoming year? Well, I think it does, but I think the main key is actually getting some depth. When you look at this defensive line, they had two kids transfer in uh, last year, one of them being Malik Langham, a kid that transferred from Florida, was forced to sit out. He appealed and tried to get through the process with the NCAA, was denied. So he's a kid that's coming in. They actually have so much depth on the defensive line that they took one of last year's starters in Drew Birchmeyer at defensive tackle and moved him over to guard. He's listed on today's depth chart as a starter at left guard, having not played there since he was in high school. And so that kind of tells you, you know, this year the the depth factor there I think will be greater. So this defense to me kind of reminds me, and and I'm dating myself a little bit, but back in the Woody Woodenhofer days when he was here at Vanderbilt and they had some absolutely great defenses and they would play games and lose, you know, 17 to 7 or 10 to 7 or 7 to nothing. Uh, where the defense was just absolutely dynamite, but the offense could do absolutely nothing. And by the fourth quarter, those guys were worn out. So it wouldn't surprise me to see this defense play well early on in the game. And then as the game goes forward, if the offense is unable to produce anything, things kind of fall apart for them late. But certainly I think they have more depth and more talent there this year and experience. And they've got three guys that were preseason All-SEC, either first, second, or third team on that defensive side this year. And that's exactly what I was going to lead into. Three defensive players for the Commodores will be on the all-SEC preseason list, including linebacker Dimitri Moore, defensive end Dale Obagino, I think that's how you say his name, and Andre Mintz. So what have you seen from those three that make them stand out? I mean, just, just a little bit. They made 49 career starts between all three of them. Uh, Obadeo was on pace last year for 12 tackles for losses. Uh, Mintz had six and a half stops behind the line of scrimmage. Moore led the Commodores with 99 total tackles as the starting inside linebacker. Just what have you seen from them in their progression from 2019? Well, Dimitri Moore is a complete football player. In fact, if you go look at some of the mock drafts, he's ranked in the top 150 players uh, in this potential draft class. Now, it's still early for draft, I know, and obviously the uh, combine and those things will have a lot to do with it, but certainly he has that ability. So he opted out of the season earlier than opted back in, and that was a big get for them to get that guy back. Uh, When you talk about the other two, Andre Mintz is a really physical player and uh, a key member of this team, and and I think will have a better year. But the guy I'm looking at is Deo Odeingbo. He's a guy that uh, has – 
real NFL potential with the size and the length and the ability. He's not been able to put it together, but according to everybody that I've spoken with and Derek Mason is he praise on him saying that it seems like the light has finally come on for this kid and he's starting to do the things that he can do because of the physical uh, talents and gifts he has athletically. So, uh, I'm looking for him to have a big year. I think Dimitri Moore will be solid and do the same things he's done. And then if you can find a couple of other guys to step up, Kenny Abair, another linebacker, is a guy that has some ability that hopefully uh, will take a step forward. This defense could be pretty solid. Yeah, I, I agree with that, actually. And, you know, Ted Roof, defense coordinator for Vanderbilt, came, even came out and said he's seen big improvements from Dimitri Moore. This is a guy that a lot of people around the SEC have talked about as being one of the top-level linebackers. And Vanderbilt really hasn't had that guy since Zach Cunningham left back in 2017 for the NFL. He recently got a brand-new extension with the Houston Texans. So now looking ahead at this team, the linebacker position seems to be the deepest. It seems to have the most experience for Vanderbilt. And A&M, up until about a week and a half ago, their weakest position on offense was probably that running back role. And then because of opt-outs, it's actually probably their strongest. So what do you expect between the run game with Isaiah Spiller, Anaya Smith, new incomer, uh, Devon on Shane, all we call them the earth, wind, and fire combination because they each bring a little bit of a different element to the game. What do you expect the linebackers to be lining up and what they can see from this A&M run game? Well, I think we're probably going to see uh, Vanderbilt try to play this thing straight up. I, obviously, I don't know a lot about Texas A&M overall. Did take a look through the depth chart. I know that uh, the receivers are fairly young with uh, Osmond uh, opting out. So I think we see Vanderbilt try to play straight up man coverage in the secondary to allow the linebackers to stay in and help, obviously, with those running backs. But more importantly, I think to try to control Kellen Mond and keep this guy in the pocket, force him to throw the football if they can to these young guys by taking away the run and let, let's see what these young guys can do. I know they're athletic. I know they're talented, but they're young and inexperienced playing in the SEC. So I kind of feel like that's what Roof and company will do. Try to eliminate the, or not eliminate, but take away the run, maybe stack the box a little bit, perhaps uh, slide a safety down in there if they need to occasionally and, and see a lot of man on the outside on, on whomever lines up of those young receivers from the Aggies. So let's just bring this up real fast it's because if you've been around the SEC, I've been around the SEC for quite some time. When you play in the SEC and you have that little experience like you do at AM at the wide receiver position, do you think it does take time to adjust to the speed? Because of a lot of people that I've spoken to, even at the scouting level, says the SEC is not far off from the NFL, even though it is very far off in the NFL. But that's why you see a plethora of talent no matter where you go to college usually represent the conference at the next level. Absolutely. And, you know, it does take a little time. And while quarterbacks and receivers could do seven on seven and those types of things to help with timing, it's still different when you're going against game speed against other SEC caliber athletes. So I think there could be a little bit of an adjustment. Now, again, obviously haven't seen A&M practice or, or these guys do their thing on the field talking about the receivers. I know Kellen Mond is a player. The numbers bear that out. 61.6% completions a year ago, uh, 3,398 total yards. So he's earned the, the recognition and the praise. Um, I just, 
you know, it's hard to tell just what these guys are going to do, but certainly the SEC and the ability that the guys have there, uh, as you said, speaks volumes. It's not that far off from the NFL when you consider the caliber of athletes. And the thing that makes the SEC different is the guys up front and the way that the big guys on the defensive and offensive lines can move as compared to, you know, some of the other conferences where the Big Ten has some good players, but they don't necessarily have as great of athletes in, in a lot of sense as as, uh, you know, some of the SEC teams there. So I, I just, I, I think A&M wins this thing. And I know you may going to be asking me that a little bit later on, but I think it's probably A&M uh, in a dominating performance, though I'm guessing Vanderbilt can hang around in this thing defensively for at least a half before it kind of gets away because I think A&M has too many athletes. Uh, even though these young guys on offense, the receivers, are young, I think there's some plays to be made there because of their athletic ability. Sometimes athletes just outperform the guys at certain positions, and maybe you don't need an actual position to be successful in a conference like the SEC. We got Greg Arias on the show. We got a few more questions with him. We'll be talking a little bit about the replacement of the run game. Finally, his actual prediction, more exactly what the score is going to be, and what we can make about his thoughts on Kellen Mond. Doug Gordon, we'll be back in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Listen on Spotify. Listen on iTunes. If you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. Greg Arias from Sports Illustrated's Commodore Country joining us on the show this morning, Wednesday. We are just a few more days away from kickoff. Greg, Keyshawn Vaughn was pretty much the one consistent of the Commodore offense last year. He's now with the Tampa Buccaneers. He's in the NFL. How do you replace that run game? That Because that's going to be something I think that really is going to speak more volume than any of this, especially with young quarterbacks that we already talked about that are probably going to be trotting out on the field on Saturday. Well, that's a great question. Vaughn was a, a special uh, talent for Vanderbilt, one of the top running backs to ever come through. Uh, the Commodore football program. And uh, while they've not had a plethora of great running backs over the years, as far as guys going on to the NFL, they've had some pretty good ones. Zach Stacy, uh, one of those guys that people will remember spent a few years in the NFL. So replacing Vaughn will be a committee approach this year. Derek Mason has said as much. Now they do get Jamari Wakefield back. He was lost in the Georgia game last year, the first game of the season with the season ending injury. He will be able to bear some of the load. He's a bigger running back, 6'1", about 225, 230-ish now. I, I know I was told he put on some weight. He was 225 last year, and somebody said 230. Uh, haven't seen the exact number on that. But uh, he, along with uh, Javion Marlowe and a kid named Rocco Griffin out of Georgia. Now, Griffin is a smaller back. He's only – uh, like 5'10 and 185 pounds, but he is a true uh, speedster, a track guy. He was number two in the state of Georgia last year in the 100 meters. And, you know, the state of Georgia is kind of like Texas and California when it comes to athletes. They produce a ton of those guys. So when you can finish second in the state in the 100 meters in Georgia, you're running against some pretty decent competition. So, He's a home run threat, though he's not the bigger guy. And I think we'll see a lot of those three guys carrying the football tonight or uh, Saturday night, excuse me. And we could potentially see a couple of other guys as well get some carries just depending on how things go. I think, though, that the running game probably 
uh, will struggle because I'm just not sold on what we're going to see out of this Vanderbilt offensive line. As I mentioned a little earlier, moving a defensive tackle to guard kind of tells you the situation that Vanderbilt is in up front now. They may surprise me and be better than expected, but I kind of look for those guys to struggle against Texas A&M up front. And I get that. I really do. And and when you lose a talent like that, especially on a rebuilding team like Vanderbilt is, it, it's it's a little underwhelming, even though you do have players who have been in the system for a while. Greg, Kellen Mond is an enigma. And I've asked every single guest I've had on about this. With Jamie Newman opting out this year, is Kellen Mond QB1 in the SEC, or is it going to be between him and Kyle Trask throughout the rest of the season? Or are we going to see someone just kind of sweep in like Joe Burrow did last year and take over as the face of the conference? Well, I think Mond is certainly probably top three, top four easily. Uh, Trask is a guy there. I hear a lot of good things out of Georgia and the freshmen that they've got uh, as far as his talent level and what he can do. Haven't seen him in person. Uh, You mentioned somebody sweeping in and and maybe doing similar, maybe not certainly the numbers. Burroughs numbers last year were just ridiculous. But I think if there's a guy going to crash the party, it's Mac Jones at Alabama because he has some experience and obviously he's got a boatload of talent around him with the receivers and the running backs and things he's got. So that could be while it wouldn't necessarily be a surprise uh, in that it being Alabama, I think he's a name to watch in that role. But I would say Mond and, and Trask are probably one and two. I would lean towards Mond a little bit because of his athletic ability. I think he's much more um, fluid as a runner. He maneuvers in the pocket really well. He can escape and he can hurt you with his legs. Trask can do a little bit of that, but certainly not to the same level. So if I were going to pick an SEC quarterback uh, today and say, this is my guy, I'd go Mond. And I get that. I think a lot of people do. I think the biggest question is, can he win in those big moments? Can he continue to drive downfield? And without his go-to weapon in Jamon Osmond, this could be a bit of a struggle, especially with the limited production you have at the wide receiver role. But Dual threat and athletic ability wins, and Mond crosses off both boxes easily. Greg, before we let you go, as always, we got to get a prediction, man. And I know you said AM's going to win, but do you think that Vanderbilt's defense can at least hang around early before possibly? And also, what's your final score? I think they can. I think this defense, and certainly Ted Roof coming in, he's got a history uh, of being a good defensive coordinator. He's been in the SEC, won a national championship at Auburn. Now, granted, that was Cam Newton's team, and Newton kind of put that show on his back and did most of the heavy lifting, but still the defense had to perform. And so I think Vanderbilt can hang around. I think even though the line is 30 and a half, I think the Commodores cover that 30 and a half. I'm going to say 35 to 7 is your final score in this one. A&M wins by 28. I think Vanderbilt plays them tough in the first half because of the defense. But in the end, that defense is going to get worn down because the offense, I just don't see them being able to do enough uh, to keep that defense fresh enough for the fourth quarter of this thing uh, to be able to take on the kind of athletes that A&M has because the Aggies certainly, I think, uh, have a higher talent level uh, than, than Vanderbilt does coming into this. So you heard it here first, folks. Everyone, even though AM's is going to win the game, and Greg Arias, who covers Vanderbilt, even says it, you may want to take the under in that. Greg Arias, make sure you're following him on social media at Greg Arias Sports 
wonderful follow. Subscribe to Commodore Country, part of Sports Illustrated. He does fantastic work covering a team that does not get enough respect in the SEC. Greg, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and look forward to, to getting the SEC off and running this weekend. Uh, college football is not the same without the SEC playing. The SEC is back. That's going to do for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Make sure you follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Tomorrow's show, who are the three Aggies with the most to gain in this season opener? And finally, who are our final picks for our top 25 Aggies going into 2020 to watch out for? We'll be explaining all that and so much more. We will see you tomorrow. And remember, take it y'all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.